But hey, let's get into God's word today. So grateful to bring the word. Uh, today we find ourselves in Timothy chapter 1, first, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, and I think we have the notes. There you go. You can grab the notes if you are tech savvy. Some, uh, just a little bit of context before I get into reading this scripture. This is, Paul is in prison again, because <laughs> Paul just be in prison for building the church. But this would be considered one of his last letters. And so you can only imagine with all the things that Paul has done coming toward the end of his life, knowing that it's slowly coming to an end, who knows that like at the end of your life, you're actually going to use your words wisely. You're probably going to tell people what's most important. Yeah, yeah. You're not going to you know, say anything that isn't necessary. And so that's kind of how I want to read the scripture today, is that this is very important. Paul, Paul is choosing to use these words in his final days. And I know that we will just say what's most important when we get to the end of our life. So 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, it starts like this. It says, For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the Spirit, of God, uh, for the Spirit God gave us did not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, Join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us. Everybody, he has saved us. us. Say he has called us. us. To a holy life. Not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. If you're taking notes today, today's sermon is called called to this, called, called to this. Amen. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for these, the word of God. I thank you for your holiness. And God, I thank you for your goodness. I pray that you would speak to us. We say, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name. And everybody said a big amen. Amen Amen and amen. Everyone in this room uh, or online, or maybe even those outside of this room, literally turn it up right now has come to a place in life, I would argue, where they would ask the question, what is my calling? What am I called to do? And what I'm doing right now, is this a part of it? And, and, and it, you don't have to be safe to ask this question. You don't have to be in church to ask this question. We ask this question because the Bible says God put eternity in our heart. And so we know something inside of us that there is something more. There's something more to all this that we see it, you know, tangibly. But I believe if we're not careful, we could spend our entire life chasing our calling and not the person who has called us. Amen. But I do want to remind you, Paul, I love how Paul starts this letter with encouragement. I want to encourage you and remind you that you are called, that you are still called, that you actually can't disqualify yourself from your calling. Nothing you have done, your mistakes, what you do, what doesn't matter. You can't disqualify yourself from your calling. God won't revoke the call that he has for you. Yes. And here's what's crazy. Romans eleven twenty nine would say this, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Yes. Sorry. It's there whether you like it or not. I love the message would say this, God's gifts and God's call are under full warranty. Never canceled, never rescinded. Kingdom culture isn't cancel culture. God's not going to cancel the call of God on your life just because of something you have done. Come on, anybody grateful that God is so good 
that he would call us. He would call us. So everybody say, I am called. I'm called. That is the truth. The truth is that you are called by your heavenly father, by God almighty. So the question that we ask today or the question you no longer need to ask isn't, am I called? We know this. The question that we must answer today is, what am I called to? What am I called to? Second Timothy one, it says he saved us and called us to a holy life. A holy life. Today, I wanted to talk about holiness. Y'all ready? We have this holy calling. I'd like to you know, ask you the question, like, what do you think about when you, when you hear the word holy? I can only imagine you think about your experiences. You know, I was raised in the Catholic Church. I thought it was you know, stained glass windows, three-piece suits on a Sunday, Sistine Chapel. I literally was writing the sermon. I was like, 16th chapel? I was like, oh, it's a Sistine chapel. <laughs> you learn something new when you write sermons. You know, maybe you think about religious duty, pompous posture, English accent, in the year of our Lord Jesus Christ. Or maybe when you think about the word holy, you think boring or lame. But I want to bring some clarity today. My job is not to make, thing, make deep things th- deeper. My job is to make deep things simple, amen? All holiness is, is to set apart, to set apart. So for example, we have this book, it's called the Bible. And Bible simply means book. That there's, there's no special word about the word Bible, but it's, come on, the Holy Bible, right? When we get married, we call that a matrimony. But because God's making his covenant with his people, we call it holy matrimony. Joshua 3.5 says, Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Setting yourself or something apart is your part. This is the part we play in our calling, that we could set apart ourselves for the things God wants to do. And I want to give you that permission this morning, that you have the permission to set your life apart. You actually can set an activity apart. You go on a walk early in the late in the afternoon or early in the morning. You can make that a holy walk. This is sacred. I meet with God during this time. Maybe maybe you go to work and you just thought that work is just a place you trade time for money. But in reality, it could be a mission field. You can consecrate your work environment. It could be holy. Amen. But why? Why should we live this holy life that we are called to? I believe the answer is found in 1 Peter 1.6. It says, be holy because I am holy. There's our answer. So uh, three points, and I want to talk about three requirements to live a holy life or to three requirements to being, having a life set apart for God. Number one, number one, it requires process, not perfection process, not perfection. For the spirit of God does not give us, does not come to us to make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-control. Power, love, and self-control. Those are fruits of the spirit. That's, those are, that's a result of, of having the Holy Spirit and walking by the spirit. But who knows, Pastor Javen preached last week that fruit doesn't just appear. Fruit starts in seed form. Everybody say little by little. And so it starts small. And when we give our life to Christ, This is what happens. We are made holy, right with God. This is salvation. 
And some people are going to get saved today. Amen? Amen. And then we, we step into this process where we are then becoming holy. This is called sanctification. Yeah. It's the process of becoming more like Jesus. And it's a process. Yes. And then when we get to heaven, we will be holy. It's not overnight, but it is over time. Boy, I can tell you what. 2011 first year saved Omar is not conducive to this, you know, 11, 12 years later. Oh, man. But I underwent a process over the course of 11 years, walking by the Spirit, little by little, brick by brick, God began to do a work in my life. So it is, though, committing to process, but not perfection. It's not huge leaps of spiritual accomplishments. I think sometimes we think holiness or holy means arrival, like there's a graduation. And I think we believe this because so much of our life is this way. Our life is designed to get to the next place and that you, you would arrive in life. It might be the corporate ladder. It might be your degree that you're going for. It might be fill in the blank. But I think we, we do this because of things like the bachelor night. The bachelor night. Yeah, we all know about the bachelor night. No judgment. But we, we, we honestly are raised to think because of culture that the bachelor night, because of our misconception of what even marriage is to begin with, that we think the bachelor night is like this line of demarcation in our life where we must get everything out of our system before the 12 p.m. or 12 a.m. hit strikes the clock. Because once I get into marriage, it's going to be boring. You know, I, I, can't, I can't have fun no more. But that has all come because we have had the wrong definition of marriage to begin with. And so we take that ideology into our walk with God and we think we must get right. We must, you know, be perfect by 12 a.m. so that when I start walking with God, then I could then be holy. But that's not the case. Amen. And I love what Pastor Jabin says. He, He said this at Best Middle School. He never said it again. I never forgot it. He said, holiness is giving God what he asks for when he asks for it. Like I said, not huge leaps of spiritual growth, little by little. When God asks for it, give it. You might be scrolling through social media, and God says, you need to take a break. I'm going to take a break. You You might love that thing you just bought. I don't know. It happens sometimes. Maybe it's a purse or some shoes, and you feel God say, give it, give that away. Oh no, Jesus. Not this Louis Vuitton Derby bag. Why do I even know those details? It's because I'm married. You might want to actually spend that money and you feel the spirit of God say, sow it. But holiness is just giving God what he asks for when he asks for it. And I want to encourage you, obey quick. When the alarm sounds, obey quick. When, 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 you, when you feel the nudge of the Holy Spirit, and sometimes it's not super clear, but it's a nudge. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and on a practical level, I, I weigh that whether it's like, would, would this be something God would want to do? Probably. It's probably God. The Acts says it, it felt good to us and, and the Holy Spirit. Seems good. But I want to, I want to encourage you to obey quickly. Quick obedience, because delayed obedience is disobedience. But we aren't, we, we aren't to think that holiness is this arrival or graduation or moment. Um, 
So holiness has no arrival, and I want to encourage you to let God, let the Spirit of God do a work in you. We no longer have to think of it this way. I'll get right first, and then I'll come to God. Instead, it's let, me, let, let God come to you. The Bible says, uh, the righteous shall live by faith, yeah. not by perfection, yeah. by faith. Yeah. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Yes. The old is gone and the new is here. So the truth is, we are new creations in Christ Jesus. And so I believe we should start living like it. Amen. Yeah. Amen. So holiness is not a point. It's a pursuit. Yes. Holiness is about the heart and it's not about appearance. But how do I start living this process of a holy life? Acts 2.42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. I believe we get what we need to what it looks like to live a holy life. And I I could easily be up here and tell you, you need to pray more, you need to do more, you need to read your Bible more. But I I don't want it. That's not what holiness is. Holiness is a heart thing. So number one, I would encourage you to commit to the teachings of Scripture. Yes, and I love that it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. Who knows that you don't get taught something to just hold it in? No, you teach it so you can apply it, yes. right? So it's devoting yourself to the teachings of Scripture so that you can apply what you've learned. Yes. Um, remember, it's this process, not perfection. You don't need to be a Bible scholar or memorize all the Scriptures you read this morning, you know? And something super practical I want to share with you, something that has helped me in my walk. It's this acronym, and the acronym is SOAP. SOAP. Amen. And what the acronym means is it, it means scripture, observation, application, and prayer. And you could kind of do this, in, uh, you could do this to your, with yourself, or you can actually like journal this. You would literally write out S-O-A-P. And then you would go through the scripture you're reading and just do SOAP. And so let's do this for example, John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. So for scripture, I would write down John 3:16. That's the scripture today. What are some of my observations? Just look at the text. For God so loved the world that he gave. Dang, there's there's nothing that I can do to receive God's love. It starts with God's love. I'm going to write that down in my observation. God loved me first. What's another thing I could see in there? Oh, he demonstrated his love by giving. God so loved the world that he gave. Okay, because God loved me, he gave. That love looks like action. It's just an observation, simple. And then whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Okay, so the thing that God, the person that God gave us in Christ Jesus, if I just put my faith in him, I have everlasting life. What a promise. What's my observation here? That God has promised eternity for me. Observation. Okay, let's move on to application. How does this apply to my life? God loved, so he gave. Dang, what do I love in this life that I have not yet shown my love for by giving? I'm going to love Amanda today by giving her something. This is application. Amanda said, okay. I'm going to, what's application? I'm going to remind myself the promise of my eternity is secured in heaven. Application. And then it's prayer, which is one of the things that the, the, the disciples devoted themselves to, to prayer. And then we just pray, God, I thank you that you have given us the promise for eternity. And I thank you that you loved us so much, not because of our doing, but because you loved us first and that you gave your one and only son. God, I thank you for that. And I thank you for that promise. I stand on that today in Jesus' name. Soap. 
Amen. And then the third thing they devoted themselves to was community. Everybody say community. community. Number two, holiness requires relationship, not isolation. Specifically, though, believers and with the Holy Spirit. Relationship with believers and the Holy Spirit. Verse 8 says, Paul says, join me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us. He has called us. That this is a, that our walk and our call to holiness is not for isolation and it's not just for ourselves. It's actually for an us. Can I encourage you? You need an us. Yes. You know, and City Light is an us, but we may not be your us and that's okay. But I, I think we have a pretty cool us going on. <laughs> Get you an us. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Not, not therefore conceal your sin. Confess your sin. God can't heal what you hide. And God can't fix what you fake. But where did we get this lie? Where we literally read this verse and it's like the opposite. We read it like, therefore, don't tell anybody about what's going on in your life and what you're struggling with. Send thoughts, not prayers. Just send your thoughts. <laughs> and then maybe I'll be healed because nobody knows. You know, like, we re- literally, it's literally the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. Confess your sins. What are you hiding right now? What are, literally, what, do you, what thought you're wrestling with something and, and it needs to come out? And it doesn't, I mean, it, it might not be blatant sin. It might just be your dreams. It might be a frustration. It might be something that happened three weeks ago that you just haven't told anybody about, that you need to, because that's why you keep thinking about it. So we need an us. You don't have to live in that. God hasn't designed us to to bottle things in. We shouldn't just be these Christians who's walking around holding things in. And then in any given moment, we just, boom, on on the wrong us. Come on, somebody. But holiness does not work when you hide. Proverbs 27, 27. Everyone's favorite scripture, because you only have to memorize two words, iron and sharpen. (laughs) As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. You need an us. Back in 2008 or 9, there was, T-Mobile had this campaign. It was like fave five. You guys remember this? (laughs) Who's in your five, bro? Bro, this brought offense, bro, because you were like, yeah, I'm in your five, but you're not in my five? Like, bro, what? And you didn't have to be on the same network. To, be, to have unlimited calls, but I just thought it was funny that like, T-Mobile was like, who are your, your five? Yeah. I would ask you today, who are your five? Yeah. Practically, if, if you can have two to five people that you can be 100 with, yeah. you're in good company. Yes. Jesus had 12 disciples, but he had three. Yeah. That were, he, there was three that he took up the mountain, James, yeah. Peter, and John. Uh, Dr. Robin Dunbar, he says, according to research, you can only really maintain up to five close friendships, that we only have the capacity to do so. So if you're married, there you go, this is one. So you got four. <laughs> you got four left. Use them wisely. <laughs> Hunger Games. <laughs> but I believe some of us have a lot of friends that aren't close friends. Yeah. Yeah. I call this crowded isolation. Yeah. We go to work, we're surrounded with people, 
talk with people, then you come to church surrounded with people, crowded isolation, but really you don't have that, that special close relationship. And, and less is more when it comes to wisdom for relationships. The Bible says uh, there is wisdom in a multiplicity of counselors. That doesn't mean like a full board of people that it's like you're going and running decisions with. No, multiplicity, just more than three, like three, multiplicity. Less is more when it comes to wisdom for relationships. And this is the type of friend that everyone needs in their life. And you should also be this friend. It's a confidant, a confidant. I don't know if you've heard this before, but a confidant is a person who is just with you. They are with you and they are for you. They're not for what you're for at the moment or they're not for what you're against at the moment. They're just for you. When life change happens, they're still there. Their relationship isn't based on convenience or circumstance. Some of us, we have work friends and that's just literally based on convenience because the second you have a life change, you're probably not gonna talk to them again. How about this? You don't get tired to be around them because you don't have to change your behavior when you're around them. A confidant. Everybody say confidant. Someone you could be 100 with. Uh, Bishop T.D. Jakes would say, if you can get three of these in your lifetime, you've done good. It's the height of luxury. You've done good. And I believe it's really the, the key to your freedom is that someone on this planet, someone knows everything about you. Not everyone knows everything about you. Lord, help us. Somebody knows everything about you, your dreams, your desires, your struggles. And if, if we don't have this in our life, we will live in the lie of this. No one needs to know. No one needs to know my dysfunction. No one needs to know that secret thing that I've been struggling with. No one needs to know the thing that's in my heart. But then who knows? I love it when Pastor Javen will talk about this idea. He says, no, God knows, the devil knows, angels know, you know. Four people already know. (laughs) But this is why I honestly love marriage. I love marriage because of this. Because in marriage, God willing, you get a confidant, amen? You get a confidant in a spouse. Genesis 2, 24 says, the two shall become one. God's design for marriage is that it'll make you one. Everyone say integrity. Integrity. This is what it should move into, that you should be an integrous person. I don't know if integrous is a word. I like it, though. It flows. (laughs) Integrity just means to be whole. Maybe that will help in your holiness. Bars. But, like, check this out. King David has this best friend. His name is Jonathan. And in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 18, verse 4, Jonathan does this with, with David. It says he took off his robe he was wearing, gave it to David, along with his tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. That literally, like, Jonathan surrendered his weapons and put himself in a very transparent humility, uh, humility uh, transparent place. And in the same way, we should do that with our spouses. That, like, my spouse should be able to take me out of ministry. <laughs> Come on, somebody. <laughs> like, she knows everything about me. I don't have to lay my head at night wondering if I should tell her something. No, she knows secrets. She knows what's going in my mind. She knows when I'm about to sin. Babe, I just feel like I'm about to sin. I want to tell you that right now because it's going to be bad before. <laughs> but 
but to grow in that comfort and, 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 and both, both having grace for each other, it's not like, oh, you, a, you about to sin? No, it's like, okay, let, let's turn up. Let's go on a date tonight and let's turn up. Amen. That's a little, much too, that's a little too practical, Omar. But we need a Jonathan. You need a David. You need someone that you can just be 100, that someone on this planet knows what's going in your life. Pastor Jamin also says, nothing builds your confidence like integrity. Nothing. We weren't designed to be divided or live more than one life. We're not one way in one room and different in another. We don't come to church, you know, praise God, hallelujah, go back home, it's chaos. No, integrity. So so we need relationship with believers, amen? We also need relationship with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, our sanctification will just become religious obligation. And it'll wear you out. Jesus cursed it. So like, I was raised kind of religious uh, in the Catholic faith. It was all about tradition, sit, stand, kneel. You know, I had, a, I had it down, bro. I had the, oh yeah, he's about to do the thing. We're about to. <laughs> but, but it was just based on religion. It was on me. And then I learned that like, oh, it's, it's supposed to be based on the Holy Spirit, on God. God is the one that, that motivates me to do the things. I love that Jesus says in Matthew 11, he says, are you tired? worn out, burned out on religion. Well, I was like, what? Jesus, aren't you religious? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Sometimes we, God, you put, you put this on me. No, no. I won't lay anything heavy. (laughs) It's not from God. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Amen. That's a good place to clap. I love the Bible, man. If I could be honest, can I be honest in church? I make my worst decisions when I'm tired and worn out. If the enemy can get you tired, he can get you. And how do you know something is like a spiritual issue or like a timing issue? How do you know if like what you're doing is, 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 is what's causing the tiredness? And I wrote it like, burnout doesn't come from doing too much. Burnout comes from doing too much of something that doesn't matter. That's why you could come back from vacation and still be tired. We're about to go back into the school year this week. Y'all, you're like, I still need two more weeks. But, but it's because of this. I love what Chris Hodges says. Rest isn't inactivity. Rest is a condition of your soul. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. And so you could have I, I, you know, came here today and I, I could have been like, man, you, you better pray more. You got to read your Bible. Read your Bible. <laughs> but all that without the Holy Spirit is what is called dead works. Yeah. Isaiah 64, say, he calls it filthy rags. I don't want to go into the... You Google what those filthy rags mean in Scripture, you're going to be like, oh, Lord. But, but when, when God's not a part of your, of your doing, then it becomes a religious obligation. So how do I live by the Spirit? This is a, it's as simple as this. Find a way to connect with God every day. Just find a way. That's why I don't want to make it about religion. How do you connect with God? It might be a walk for you. 
You might need to stand up in order to connect with God. For me, I need coffee and I need a comfortable chair and my Bible. Like we all, con- we, all, we, all, we all connect with God differently. Some of us connect with God through prayer. Other connect with God better through listening to worship music. I love this guy named William Augusto. You know when like Zach comes up in like three minutes and he does like the keys and it's like, ooh. William Augusto, this artist, that's all he does. It's pretty dope. Like hour long, I read my Bible to it, changes my life. But connect with God. And, and you could do it on your way to work. You could consecrate your way to work. You could make holy your hour break from, uh, for lunch. You could create a room in your house that you declare holy. Yeah. That what you set apart is your part. Yes. Amen? Amen? Amen. Number three, and as Zach comes and gives me those cool keys, it requires grace first, not works first. He has saved us and called us to a holy life not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. Everybody say grace. Grace. This grace was given uh, to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. It starts with grace. Holiness starts first with grace. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not by works so so that no one could boast. So when, when you think about holiness, you don't have to think about it on you. It's, it's, not, it's not like this pressure on you. Remember, we read Jesus didn't put heaviness on you. Holiness shouldn't feel heavy. But what do we need to know about grace? Grace is the unmerited and undeserved favor of God. It's whether you like it or not. Grace is freely given. Grace is a gift. And if grace is a gift, that tells me that holiness is a gift. And gifts aren't meant to be worked for, earned, or deserved. Gifts are meant to be received. Amen? We cannot get to God without his grace. In other words, we can't get to God without first allowing him to get to us. Grace is the great variable in our faith that makes this not religion, but a relationship. And I like to say it like this. Grace is God's yes to humanity. Amen? So we all need grace. And here's why, Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I could never point the finger of religion or say that they need to be further along. They need to be able to pray different. I don't know, because we all fell short. And we all still fall short. But I want to remind you that God is holy. He is first holy. And we honestly can't be in relationship with God if we don't get right. But we don't get right by, by works. We get right by faith. And just to give you a kind of like this picture, you know, in the Old Testament, we'll find Moses encounters the holy presence of God in the form of a burning bush. You know, he, he starts walking toward the bush and, and then uh, the bush says, Moses, Moses, don't come any closer. Take off your shoes for you're on holy ground. Fast forward, then the Israel uh, temple would be built, and this is the place that would house God's presence. And there would even be like the most holy place, and people would come close to it and literally die because it was too much holiness. Our impurities, God's holiness, doesn't work. Then we get the Levitical law. God's like, if you can keep these 613 laws, you can be in my presence. Who knows we can't do that? Later, 600 years later, we find this prophet named Isaiah. 
and he has this dream. And the dream of, is, is, a, is this seraphim, this creature in his dream has this coal. And the coal, uh, it says that the coal went on his lips. I'll even read it. Isaiah 6, 7, NLT, it says, he touched my lips with it and said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. So for the first time ever, someone isn't destroyed by God's holiness. Someone is transformed by God's holiness. And we don't know what all this means, quite frankly, until we see this man walk the planet. His name is Jesus. God puts skin and bone on. And then Jesus would then touch people who were sick, who had diseases, who were dead, who were uh, demon-possessed. And the religious leaders of the day would say, you can't do that because that's unholy, that's unclean. And it will come on you if you go near or touch it. But rather, Jesus didn't become unclean. Come on, when Jesus touched somebody, his purity went on them. Because he lived a perfect, sinless life. This is our Savior. This is the God. This is Jesus. This is grace. This lady who had an issue with blood, she knew that if she could just touch the hem of his garment, I believe today some of us need a touch from heaven. We need a touch of Jesus. And maybe you had one, you know, months ago. Maybe you did it at youth camp once. But I believe there's, there's a fresh touch and, and his pureness would come upon you and his holiness would start to come in you. So we don't access this holy life by achieving. We access this holy life by receiving. Grace is a gift, therefore holiness is a gift. Amen? What we could not do Jesus has done. And I end with this thought. Jesus on the cross says, it is finished. The word used here is testalistai. It means to bring to an end, to complete, to accomplish. You would use this word if you climbed the top of Mount Everest. You would say testalistai. And you would also use this if you made your final payment on your car loan. Amen. And praise Jesus. Well, who knows? Jesus paid all of our sins. The debt is paid. Testalistai, it is finished. Amen. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Bow your heads in this place. God, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for the call that you have on our life to be holy. I pray that we would step into this process of sanctification and for your saints, God, that we would, we would get realigned, we will get right back on track. Every head bowed, every eyes closed. If you're in this room and you have never made the decision to follow Jesus with your life, I'm gonna give you that opportunity. The Bible says, just call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. So the count of three, if you could shoot your hands to heaven and acknowledge that I'm making that decision. One, two, and three. Pastor Omar, I wanna make that decision today. Lift your hand straight up. I see that hand. Come on, I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Amen and amen. Come on, church, let's give it up to all those. Amen.